In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, open my heart to hear. Through thy word to me, draw near. Let me thy word ere pure retain, and let me thy child and heir remain. Amen. Be seated, please. You're looking at the title of today's message, I Love a Mystery. And since I put the title there and I'm saying it, you might think I'm talking about, what, a story, some kind of literature. But no, I'm not. Instead, what I'm talking about is another mystery, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I need to say that right at the very beginning because God is a mystery. It somewhat reminds me of the theory of relativity. You know, Albert Einstein, he could tell you all about the theory of relativity. There's only two people who can understand and explain it. There is Albert Einstein, and then, well, let me tell you about it. Okay, so it's early. I get it. And I understand where my mind goes. But the Trinity is something that nobody can explain. Nobody, the Bible doesn't even explain. It describes God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We need to go to God's word to understand. And today, the message for you is not so much motivational as it is instructive maybe even a review in terms of what the Bible says about our God. And I can't say it often enough that God, his being, his description, it is a mystery. We know some things, vital things that God has told us, but not everything. We can't understand everything. In many ways, as the Bible begins, it says that there is one true God, one and only God. Do you know what the the creed of God's Old Testament people was? Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Monotheism, it's called. There is but one God, the Old Testament people proclaimed, and we do too. There is but one God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of the Old Testament, so to speak. Moses, judges, kings, prophets, they all, they all confessed, they all showed in one way or another that there is but one God. But there's also something plural about God. You understand? Something more than one about God in some mysterious way. Go to the very beginning, the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then, by verse 3, it talks about the Spirit hovering over the waters. The Spirit and God. Something plural about that. And then it comes on day number 6, and even before that, day number 6, we look at the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John begins exactly the same way as Genesis. In the beginning, but it goes on to say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him, everything was that was created 
And as we read through those opening verses, the Word, the Word became a human being and dwelt among us. The Son of God, the Word, all three present in the beginning of creation, to be sure. And then going back to creation, as day six arrived, God created all the animals. There was then a special creation on that day, humanity. And what did God say? He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Did you catch, did you catch the words? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Not bad grammar, but God wasn't talking to angels. They don't create. He was talking to himself. And while not very distinct, he showed us in those words that there was more to him than just a singular being. And in Genesis later, not too far down the road, as Eve and then Adam sinned, they were expelled from the garden. And God said, they've now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Us again being shown. And it wasn't all that long later, maybe it was actually, by Genesis chapter 11, people began to assault heaven, or they tried by building the big ziggurat to try to reach heaven and to be there with God or to be like him. And how did God respond? He said, let us go down and see what's happening, paraphrase. But again, the word us. And it's like Pastor Salmon read from Genesis chapter 18. Appearing to Abraham were three men. And we would say three men, okay. But as we read further in that narrative, while a man speaks and so identified, then it's said that the Lord said this. Those three men, but yet the Lord, somehow go together. And there are names for God that aren't just singular, but plural. And again, whether you like language or grammar or whatever, there's something to this. Even as the blessing you're going to receive today at the end of worship, we call the Aaronic benediction from Aaron. Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor, give you his peace. Three, three, just like what Isaiah experienced and like we sang a few moments ago, Isaiah chapter 6, as he was called to be God's prophet, he heard, holy, holy, holy. By itself, one could say, who knows? But putting all this together, we see something unique, mysterious about God. And then, as things unfold with the New Testament, namely with Jesus, we see things taking a further step. We hear of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, but when Jesus comes on the scene, things are clearer still. I suppose if we want to put a name to that, we could call it progressive revelation. 
not talking politics. We're talking about how God reveals himself. He, he tells us something about himself that we don't know more and more as time went along, most fully in Jesus. And Jesus said often, the Father and I are one. And that was so controversial, it was called blasphemy. That Jesus would exalt himself and say that he was on par with God. We know that to be true. They not. Not so much. They called it blasphemy. A sin by their book. And really by the Old Testament itself. But at Jesus' baptism, things got clearer and clearer as he began his ministry. We heard the record from Matthew chapter 3. Jesus baptized in the water, the Son of God. The Father speaking, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. A father can say, this is my Son. And the Holy Spirit coming from above and landing on Jesus. The Holy Spirit shown in that dove. And while that's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, at the very end, as he had wrapped up everything, taught, lived, died, and rose again, he turned over the mission to those 12 men standing on the hill. And he said, now you, you go and make disciples of all nations. How? Baptizing them and teaching them. Not just any kind of baptism, but baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Made it abundantly clear the nature of God, even if we can't comprehend it. Just like Paul, who revealed in some ways the plurality of God, when in blessing he talked about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. But as you heard Pastor Don read, there's the Trinitarian greeting as well. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship or communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Clearer and clearer as time went on. And so we put a label on God to try to capture at least some of this mystery. The label is the word Trinity. Not found in the Bible, by the way. It's a word we made up to break it down, begins to put a handle on this mystery. Tri, meaning three, and unity put together. Somehow, some way, God is three, yet one. I remember not only myself, but others trying to teach children about this as much as they can comprehend. We talk about water. There's the liquid. There's the frozen water. And what? There's the mist, all water, three, yet one element. Or the apple. There's a wonderful book, as you see it pictured in the lower right-hand side there, but looking at an apple the same way, the core, the flesh, and the skin on top, but yet one piece of fruit. Or I remember once asking confirmation class, what comes to your mind to try to picture God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The Trinity. Lower left, someone said, a tricycle. I said, that's pretty good. You know, that's good thinking. Only one limitation. You got one big wheel and two smaller wheels. Where God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equal. But I mean, you've got other symbols that begin to try to picture 
what we can't fully comprehend, like upper left, the equilateral triangle. Not just any, but one with equal sides and equal angles. Remember your uh, math from school or in your daily life? And those other symbols, the interlocking circles there to the right, and the center of that is also there between the triangle as well. And then lower right, the fleur de lis, the flower, somewhat like the, the clover, the three uh, leaves to a clover. None of these is perfect, but each of these tries to describe at least as much as we can contain what God is all about. They limp, but they help. And then we've got the creeds that try to express in human words as much as we can the basics of our faith. Ways that Christians formally speak of the God we believe. We do that in our everyday life with our own words and the way we live. But we also have throughout Christian world used creeds like the Apostles' Creed to speak of our faith. It's the oldest of creeds and it's used when we do baptisms and often by tradition when we gather for worship when in our realm there is no communion. The Apostles' Creed. Some people think it was the Apostles who wrote it the 12, and actually for some time, as people looked at that creed, we break it into three parts, they broke it into 12 parts, and felt that each of the disciples wrote a part. Instead, what we learned along the way was that this was based upon the teaching of the apostles, the next layer of authority after Jesus himself. Those whom Jesus taught, even privately beyond his public ministry. But then there's also the second of the three ecumenical creeds, that is the creeds that are accepted across the board among Christians. The Nicene Creed is much like the Apostles, but it's got a bigger section about Jesus. Controversy about Jesus' nature was the circumstance and the leaders of the church came together in 325 in the city of Nicaea, and they studied the Bible. They talked with each other. They prayed, and they came up with the creed that you and I use like on communion Sundays among us to stress the nature of the Son of God who became human in the form of Jesus. And then there's the creed that is also ecumenical, but not well known. Maybe not even among us. The Athanasian Creed. Or if you like Latin, the Quiquunque Volt. That's a creed that isn't used that often, and you'll soon see why. You'll soon see why, but it describes, again, without trying to explain God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's an occasion like this, Trinity Sunday, that it's often used so that we don't forget, that we get our minds stretched with the reality of God. Because, you see, if we could explain God, think about this, if we could explain God, he wouldn't be God. He would be in our image. He would be something our minds could contain, and that's not God. 
not among us now, and really you think about it, in eternity, we won't know God in his entirety. We won't be able to explain him altogether because if we could, we would be God. But he remains above us and beyond us. But what we need to know, he has revealed. And he's done it most fully in his son, Jesus Christ. A mystery. And I love it. I love it. Not because I can explain it, but because I love God, who's beyond my explanation. Today, but I hope every day, we can recognize this. We can proclaim it, and we can stand in awe. Stand in awe of a God who is just so big, so broad, so high, that all we can do is worship.